This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. Alex Jones, thank you for joining me in the trenches. Yes, sir. I followed your work and I know that South Africa is a laboratory for the great reset in the whole globalist system. So we're watching what happens uh, to your nation very, very closely. How is the information war treating you? If you read the news, you'd think we've been destroyed. It's kind of like Mark Twain said, rumors of my demise have been greatly exaggerated. Uh, we're actually more effective than ever because what we talked about reading globalist documents decades ago has now come true. So at the end of the day, InfoWars is stronger than ever. It's a, it's a funny play on words because InfoWars being what you represent and, of course, the information war. Absolutely. I chose that name about 26 years ago when I got the URL. I've been on air a few years when I got InfoWars.com, and I thought, what are we facing? Well, it's an information war. That was the propaganda term used by the Defense Department for information operations. So I thought, we'll call the site that, and basically now here we are in the full-fledged InfoWar. Obviously, because I'm South African, I have to ask you, have you been to my side of the pond? I've never been to Africa. I've been to uh, South America, Central America. I've been to Europe a few times, quite a few times, but I've never been to Africa. I definitely want to go. I know my wife um, in college went there for like six months, part of a college exchange. She thought it was amazing. We often talk about ideas, but I'd like to know just a little bit about your background, where you grew up. Uh, Dallas started there. Is that right? I did. I mean, I'm, I'm 49 years old now, just turned 49 this month. And uh, I grew up in a suburb of Dallas and basically, you know, had a, a, a family that was somewhat politically engaged, but really not left or right, but just pro-America. And my mom was a big historian, so I, I learned a lot from her growing up. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm from Dallas, Texas. I've been in Austin, Texas um, more than 30 years. And, and, and so that's basically I'm from Texas and here I am. I mean, I was the bad boy, <laughs> uh, particularly, that's why my parents, when I was in, in, in like a, a sophomore in high school, my dad owned a dental practice and he sold his dental office and we moved to Austin because that's where my mom was from and she always wanted to be here. It's only 200 miles south of Dallas. Uh, but uh, I definitely got into a lot of fighting, a lot of street fighting and a lot of other things. And so, uh, I mean, I was a bad boy my first few years. Uh, in high school, but I reproved myself and got out of that very, very quickly. How did you start pulling back the curtain, seeing the truth in the world around you? What what triggered that? Well, my dad had won a bunch of science awards when he was like 13, 14, 15. And then he thought he was going to join NASA when he went to UT when he was 15 years old, University of Texas. But really, it was a program to get all the science brains into it and it wasn't even really the cia it was it was the scientific elite so he got into that he got out of it by the end of college didn't like their goals never really told me about it officially but the background he was talking about with my mom so i kind of grew up hearing that and my mother's brother uh was a, a manager pretty high level and i ran contra and also stuff in vietnam before that and so i kind of was a background noise when you're a kid you're like you're at the little table at Thanksgiving and the parents are at the big table. And they're all having these discussions about the world. And so you're kind of ignoring it. It's no big deal. But later, then you start growing up and you see they were right about what was happening. So my parents never pushed me into this. They never told me I was going to go do this. It was kind of like a background noise or ambient sound of what was going on. And I had a lot of other family uh, that had been involved uh, in corporations and things. And also in, I guess you could call it secret operations, black operations. And so they weren't very naive. And so I was not naive from a very young age, though I didn't even know I wasn't naive. I kind of already had that base education so that when I was 18, got out of high school, started going to community college, wasn't sure what I wanted to do. But I saw the anti-American, communist, globalist propaganda and I thought, wow, this is everything that my grandfather warned me about and my 
and my uncle warned me about it. My dad warned me about, I'm seeing this. So I said, I don't want to go get a degree and be part of the system. I said, I'm going to uh, try to get on air. And so I was 20 years old. When I started trying to get on air, tried to intern at radio stations. They wouldn't have me other things. I already was successful, uh, you know, in, in jobs I had uh, kind of fell into sales. So when I was like 20 years old, I was already making a hundred thousand dollars a year. Back then that was like $500,000 a year. So I already had a nice apartment, nice car, girlfriends, everything. But I was just going to settle in to being a, a, a salesman. Uh, but I, I just saw the whole anti-American attack. So I said, I'll just sell freedom instead. And so I read so many books and documents about the New World Order, particularly my, my mother's brother, uh, who contrary to the stories you hear that you never get out of the CIA, he actually got out of it because he was a born-again Christian. Uh, he'd always been a Christian, but he became born again in Guatemala, witnessing some of those secret operations. He told me all this before he died. And he um, saw that going on. So he gave me some books. He told me how it all worked, who was running it all. And so I, if one person is guilty of the Alex Jones phenomenon, it would have to be um, William Forrest Hammond, my uh, my mother's brother, her only brother, my uncle, who was a great guy, looked like Popeye. And uh, he basically told me everything I knew. And of course, it turns out his dad, my grandfather, um, was in the Army Air Corps in World War II and didn't see a lot of service because he crash landed on, 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 early on in his mission. So he never said he was some fighter ace. He wasn't. Uh, and then he was involved. He was an inventor. And then he was involved... Um, developing some of the early remote control robots for the Pentagon. I didn't learn about that until after he was dead. And so he kind of knew about everything, but, but it was really his son, my uncle, who was like the world champion uh, Morse coder when he was like 15 years old and a bunch of other stuff, kind of like Captain America that, that had been inside the deep state and told me how things work. So that, that I mean, that's basically where I got my jumping off point. And then he encouraged me, uh, to go out and speak out against it and, and, and then and then do what I did. And and so that's kind of how I had a cheat sheet on how things work from my family. One of your favorite books um, is the book that I happen to have also is the one by Gary Allen, None Dare Call It Conspiracy. Yes, that's a book that I remember seeing on the bookshelf when I was like five years old. I had, my dad had all these cool books and I wanted to read it. And by the time I was 10 and could read pretty good, I read that book. I didn't really understand it, but when I read it again when I was 16, I did understand it. I read it again when I was about 20. Uh, and that is such a seminal book, such a great job that uh, Gary Allen uh, put together. It's not possible to go back to how you were because you've now seen, you've seen too many things, right? Exactly. These things didn't come out, it seems, till the late 80s. But I remember going to an art museum with my parents in Dallas and they had a whole exhibit on hidden images. And you're looking at this mosaic of pink spots or green spots or blue spots. They're like, find the hidden image. You're looking at it and you're looking at it and you sit there. Some people walk right in and see it right away. And they say, you can't see the dove or you can't see the turtle or you can't see the hawk or you can't see the, the you know, the tree. But the minute you can see the hidden image, you're like, how did I not see that before? So I think that's basically what this is like. And you read a book like None Dare Call a Conspiracy where the ultra-rich are funding communism, destroy the middle class to make people poor to control, really is just feudalism. And they exempt themselves from all the laws and they raise taxes on the poor. And then you see that in real life. I mean, take the United States. Biden stole his way into power two years ago, or now I guess 26 months ago. And the first thing he did was sick the Internal Revenue Service, the IRS, the tax police, on people making $40,000 a year or more. Well, that's the working poor. With inflation, you're making 40 grand a year, you're working poor, especially if you have children. You, you, you really can barely pay your bills. Well, that group only pays about 5.5% of the taxes. It's 1%, you know, pays a lot. The middle class pays the rest. Why would you target people who don't even pay a fraction of the tax base? And then he hired 87,000 new IRS agents six months ago to particularly target in the legislation people depositing checks of $600 a month. So they admit that they're going after groups that don't generate even 6% of the tax roll. They're going to leave the rich people alone. That is the act of 
deep evil criminals wanting to drive working class people onto the welfare rolls, onto the welfare rolls, onto the, the, the universal basic income. That's what the communists do. And, and, and so that right there is just such a pressure from above, pressure from below. Then they defund the police. Crime doubles or triples. You're being mugged, you're being robbed, you're being killed, and they want to take your guns, so there's no police and you can't defend yourself. But magically, the communists, like they're in your country, they've got plenty of guns. And so it's a purposeful collapse of civilization because the ruling global banks and elites know once they collapse a country by replacing one evil apartheid with something even far worse, not defending apartheid, but you don't, oh, your foot's cut off, let's cut your head off. They bring in something even worse to fully collapse it because of the resources. Then after 20 years of hell, then they come in with a new authoritarian model as the answer to fix it. And so then you see the bigger Hegelian dialectic of problem, reaction, solution at work here. How much of that, in your opinion, Alex, is by design and by emergence? There's a lot of incompetence. There's a lot of stupidity. But the globalists know human nature. So, I, I mean, big cultural events are normally completely staged. But also, part of the time, they will use a crisis and won't let it go to waste. As the former White House Chief of Staff, Ronald Emanuel, said a decade ago, we won't let a good crisis go to waste. So they can just exacerbate crises that are already there. But by dumbing people down, by cutting off resources, by playing groups off against each other, they create the climate like in a chemistry test that will cause an explosion. Mm. Uh, and so the vast majority of it is totally premeditated. And then from that flows all the other crises that they then exacerbate and pose as saviors over. Here's the best analogy. I don't know how prisons work in South Africa, but in the United States for a hundred years, they purposely segregate whites, blacks, and Hispanics. And in areas on the east and west coast where there's a large Asian population, it's Asian, black, white, uh, Hispanic. And they let leaders run each wing of the prison, and those leaders meet with the, with the warden every week or so. And the jail guards and the wardens can just stand back, and now that divided prison wars with itself over the color of their skin. And so really when you look at the whole New World Order system, it's a microcosm. The prisons are a microcosm of what's being done on a larger scale. When you talk about the New World Order, what is it that you're talking about? George Herbert Walker Bush in 1991 with the Iraq invasion said it's a United Nations that controls the nation states and a one world government with treaties that, that, that controls every facet of your lives. And an Agenda 2020 program of environmentalism to cut off human resources. So it's a global corporate empire. When they talk about a new world order, that's the order they're talking about. Not one that's run by the peoples of the nations or uh, religious identity or cultural identity, but, but one that's totally centralized by the corporations and the culture they've chosen as their operating system is a all-inclusive, rainbow flag, neoliberal program. And it isn't about being nice to gay people. That's their corporate cover for their fascism. And so that's their excuse for censorship and surveillance and control. This competition between the unipolar system and the multipolar emerging system, how does that fit into the New World Order? Well, the globalists use a unipolar America, Anglo-American, former British Empire system as their main control arm. But then they expect to have China as a client state that kind of creates its own system to give other nations a supposed choice. You join the Chinese communist authoritarian AI police state, social credit score, or you join the American one, or you join the Russian one. But really, it's the multinational corporations that are in every country, every group that are really building this power. So the nations like the U.S. and Russia and China, they become a distraction from the larger digitization, centralization that's taking place.
in your mind, is is Putin a significant figure, or is he just a a, a, a chess piece? I think Russia runs Russia, but they're adopting a lot of the same globalist programs because they want to control those central bank digital currencies, all of it in the future. So they're all competing predatory states, uh, in my view. Uh, but Russia is refusing the anti-family programming. They are refusing to have their borders dissolved, replacement migration. Uh, they are refusing to have their energy and, and systems cut off. So Russia in the world today is the best house in a bad neighborhood. Doesn't mean their standard of living is the best. Doesn't mean they're the answer. Doesn't mean they're the moral high ground. But when it comes to opposing the destruction of the family, the sexualization of children, the cutting off of resources, forcing GMO products and forced injections on the public, uh, Russia is the leader in opposing that. It's not saying much because Russia is full of a bunch of bureaucrats and special interests as well uh, and is far down the uh, rat hole. Uh, but compared to the United States, compared to China, uh, Russia is um, kind of a backward throwback to a more human era. It doesn't mean it's lionized or it's beautiful or it's perfect, but it's still not an AI-run system. By extension, is the West on life support? Well, look at South Africa. And I, I don't live there. I'm not an expert like you, but I, I mean, I followed de Klerk and I followed Mandela and I mm. followed, hey, let's get rid of an apartheid system that's obviously centralized and elitist and somewhat predatory. But then let's replace it with the ANC and communism and race war and let's kill the whites, let's take their land. What's well, a bunch of hardworking farmers that are holding the whole country up who are, who are Christians. It's that Christian ethos that makes them so successful. So, I mean, I see South Africa really as the war game or the model of the future for the rest of our countries. Mm. South Africa is a perfect example. You know, industrial country, modern country, agrarian country, beautiful country, high standard of living for even the poorest people, incredible high standard of living for the rich. Well, now the poor are poorer than ever. There's almost no middle class, and the elites have all run off. But don't worry, the globalists are here now to fully collapse it. So I really think, unless I'm misinterpreting or never been there, I just follow it for many years. If, if, if I'm oversimplifying or getting something wrong about South Africa, you're obviously live there, you're an expert. I'm just saying I see South Africa as a model for what the globalists want to do everywhere else. And the government districts, when the power's gone off a whole bunch, we had to put a generator in the office two years ago when Biden got in, because the federal government during an ice storm would not authorize Texas to up its coal and gas power plants. So the federal government said, you can't up your power. The power went off for up to a month in Texas, a lot of deaths, a lot of businesses out of business, and they just did it. They just did it because it is a mode of control. So 100% a staple of this globalist system is cutting off energy because they wanna drive you into submission, they wanna drive you under welfare, they want to force you on a universal basic income. They want to get rid of independent economies that threaten their corporate monopoly to exploit the people. And so that's why, whether it is in Zimbabwe or whether it is Rhodesia or whether it is South Africa, you see the attacks on the farmers and the attacks on communities that are holding the civilization up. And, and, and then they get the horde to go burn out the farmers and kill them, but then they starve to death a year later, not putting two plus two together. And, and that really is the feudalistic model where they don't want civilization to uplift Africa. They want a giant exploitable group to mine cobalt and lithium for the mm. trendy electric cars. <laughs> you don't see the left saying, oh, blood diamonds that, that the Oppenheimers don't control. <laughs> you know, oh, they complain about diamonds, but oh, when it's rare earth minerals and African slaves, then it's wonderful. There's no leftist group. There's no Miss America. There's no UN pageant. There's no complaint about that. What do you know about the Oppenheimers and their involvement with South Africa? Well, I know that Cecil Rhodes, about 150 years ago, Rhodesia was named after him, just north of where you live in South Africa, that he wrote books about a one-world government, a British Empire controlling people, and how they needed monopolies. And I know that diamonds just lay on the ground in many areas of uh, South Africa, but also up into areas of Central Africa, you name it. And so by having paramilitaries and other groups that's on record, they buy up 99% of the diamonds every year and then hoard them in huge warehouses 
and then and then artificially keep the price high by only doling out small amounts of them. Uh, and I know the democratization of South Africa, and if it would have gone a better route of capitalization in an American system or another system like that, that diamonds would be what they are, semi-precious. Diamonds are like a rhinestone or an agate. Uh, they're, they are they are semi-precious, if not even non-precious. And so that's an example of globalist power. Hollywood advertising, you've got to have a diamond ring. You can tell your woman you're about to marry. Honey, here's a documentary about diamonds. Uh, you know, the fact is I don't need to buy you a $30,000 diamond to show I love you, but they still want it. And so that's really the mind control. But does the money from the diamonds go to the South African people? The answer is no. And did getting rid of apartheid, which I'm not defending, but did getting rid of one disease, it's like you have hepatitis and you get rid of it for cancer. Mm. Or you've got herpes and you get rid of it uh, for AIDS. Uh, and it's like, oh, no, I'm not defending the herpes. I'm not defending the hepatitis. But it, it's like giving up um, a sore tooth to have your teeth all pulled out. You're like, are you for a rotten tooth? And I'm like, no, I'm not for apartheid. It's not good. I don't support it. I'm not an elitist. I'm a you know an American. I believe in decentralized power, power of the people. Okay, well, we're going to pull all your teeth out then. I'm like, why don't you just fix the tooth? No, we're going to pull them all out. We're going to burn down those farms. How dare those Dutch farmers, you know, that came there 300 years ago and built all these big farms. How dare the Afrikaners actually supply food? Let's just burn them out. And it feels mm -hmm. good for five minutes. And then the Africans are starving to death when the communists are mass murdering people because they're white or cutting off the power or raping people, it's, it's trendy. You've got to, that's for a greater good. You've got to cover that up. But if a white cop accidentally kills a black person, it's the top story in the country and half the nation has to burn down. So it's all that selective reporting that's going on. If it weren't for this fake pandemic, um, you and I wouldn't be speaking. And I'm just wondering, is this one of the biggest events in modern history? It is the beginning of the biggest event in human history, a world government, corporate, UN-run takeover of our bodies. And I've been busy criticizing Africa for its problems. Let's give Africa some props here and some support. You can pull up the numbers. Anybody can pull this up. It was in the BBC about three, four months ago, and, and the numbers have been aggregated of the different uh, African governments. About 6% of Africans got injected. About 70% of Europeans, about 65% of Americans and Canadians got the so-called vaccine that wasn't a vaccine. Africa took about 6%, and Africa had the lowest death rate and the lowest infection rate for COVID because the Africans are smart when it comes to they don't trust the colonialist, especially the government of the colonialist, saying, roll your sleeve up, we're going to put something in you. Because Africans have already been through testing and attacks and all of it, so we can learn something from the indigenous populations of Africa and that continent from the fact that they refused the shot and COVID was nothing for them. Mm. And also because they don't own a TV. <laughs> well, that's right. Yeah, they're not being brainwashed. Exactly. When they know a UN truck pulls up. Well, the last time my cousins took that, they got sick or they had a they had miscarriages. I, I mean, they exactly. They know word of mouth. Like, man, you don't want to take that. <laughs> but why do you say that this is the start of the biggest event in modern history? The UN has a world treaty right now that governments are signing on to to run your body, your health care, and to take your rights away and say you can be locked down or forcibly injected. That's the official UN plan. And the UN's not this big kumbaya liberal organization you know, that loves Nelson Mandela and all that. That's all just trappings and talk. It is run by big mega corporations that are totally ruthless. And this world ID based on a vaccine passport, this whole system they're bringing out is the end of civilization as we know it and the end of our bodily autonomy. And so, yes, COVID is the biggest story really in modern human history because it's the opening salvo of multinational corporations with liability protection taking our bodies over. I'm not saying there aren't radical Muslims. I'm not, not saying that's not an issue. But... 9-11 was a deep state operation. NORAD stood down. Anybody can look up Building 7, the 47-story CIA FBI headquarters right next door. 
where on the news they said, we're going to blow it up, and they blew it up and it fell in a controlled demolition. And later they turned around and said, don't talk about it, don't get into it. So <clears throat> the Cold War, spying, censorship, control went in in the name of fighting the Russians and the Chinese communists. Then on 9-11, it becomes the Patriot Act. And no, now the apparatus of state, now the security agencies are targeted against the people. Now the enemy is amongst you, but it's the Muslims. So first, take your rights away for the Russians, the Russian threat. Then take your rights away because the Islamic threat, which the West has been funding. And then now it's, oh, there's a virus. You're all guilty. You can't leave your house. You got to take shots. You got to be tested. You're all criminals. You're all bad. And you got to take this shot to show us that you're safe. So they've segued in 20 years, 22 years since 9-11, from we're taking your rights for the Muslims, because the Muslim threat, to we're taking your rights uh, before that with the Russian threat, and now they're telling you we're, we're taking your rights because you're all guilty, you're all virus factories, you're all dirty, you're all evil. This is simply the ruling class completing the circuit uh, for control. While that's happening, I can't ignore the elephant in the room and that is alex please stop driving your car um, internal combustion is killing earth and really what it is is cutting off the economy internal combustion engine is totally clean with a catalytic converter all it puts out is water vapor and carbon dioxide and a little bit of nitric oxide which all of it's good they say oh we're going to ban cows worldwide because they're methane. Methane is what holds the atmosphere together. There's always been water buffalo and buffalo and cows. It's all the same species. All over the earth, in the Arctic, in Africa, in India, in Russia, in North America, in Latin America. The idea that we're exhaling carbon dioxide as humans, that's a toxin. They've listed as that, the UN. And that, car, and, and that cars are bad when they're putting out the same thing as a cow. So, of course, half by extension, then list the cows is bad. And so they're going after the very inexpensive energy we've got to cut that off because we're sprawling cities, we're sprawling towns, and if you cut off that resource, you've got checkmate over the public. Just like Biden shut down the Keystone Pipeline, he blew up the Nord Stream Pipeline 1 and 2 there in uh, Europe. This is a war against our energy to bring humanity to its knees so the New World Order can dictate the terms of our surrender. But Alex, don't you love the idea of a 15-minute city? What it is is your prison wing. No cars. <laughs> everything you need's there. They mean the companies you want you to visit. There's no mom and pops. There's only big box stores. Uh, these are prison grids. These are domestication centers for the public. The globalists do not want us to be independent. The answer is become self-sufficient, go to the country, and build a new civilization. And that's why the globalists are at war against the pioneers. Wherever they are, whether they're in the American East or West or whether they're in South Africa or or, or wherever they are, there's a war against people that are self-sufficient. They want us domesticated. You don't want your cow or pig or your chicken to know what it's doing or be able to have its own decisions. You're a farm animal. Well, Mm. we're treated like farm animals. You are one of the first people that I know of who exposed the World Economic Forum. Yeah, I mean, the World Economic Forum was set up in the 70s. It kind of went public in the 80s. Klaus Schwab was a steering member of the Bilderberg Group that is one of the top roundtable British intelligence organizations. I'm not blaming the British, but it's the system they set up became the world model, this corporate fascism. Uh, And yeah, I mean, I've been on the Davos Group, the Bilderberg Group, since I got on air in like 1995, 94. Uh, but I certainly didn't discover it. I mean, I, I mean, I may have popularized it. But a lot of folks didn't know what it was. Uh, but yeah, the Davos Group isn't running things, but it's the PR firm, the mouth, the mouth of the globalists, the mouth of the New World Order. And it says you'll own nothing, you'll have nothing and like it. 15-minute cities, we're going to lock you down forever. We're going to control your body. Uh, the, the future is not human. I mean, you read what they say and what they do. It is beyond dystopic. Um, the Bohemian Group. Now, I know that you've got a great story about that. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, that was back in 2000, about a year before John Ronson that worked for uh, Channel 4 TV in the UK said, I'm not allowed to sneak into Bohemian Grove. I have a lawyer that 
works there who will help you get in and tell you where to hide. So you can catch this ritual called the cremation of care every uh, July 15th since like 1885. And, you know, and a lot of artists went there. A lot of liberals went there, Mark Twain, you name it early on. And then, um, Taft and a bunch of presidents by the turn of the last century in the 1900s started going there. It's a 2,700 acre, huge redwood grove. One of the only disturbed ones in the country. It's better than national park. It's in a uh, 2,700 acre gorge or Canyon. And they've got over a hundred camps that different members are at and they're hierarchical about what camp you're at. They've got about a thousand members. Each member is allowed to bring a guest. There's about 2000 people there other than the servants. Uh, and the heads of the Bilderberg group, the heads of the CFR, the heads of the trial commission, they're almost all there. The heads of the Davos group, they're almost all there every year. So I said, okay, in a year, I'll go out to California, buy my tickets, I'll go. <clears throat> so they told me, crawl through the woods at the entrance, get into the parking lot before you go through a checkpoint, and then try to climb around behind the checkpoint. <clears throat> and a bunch of other reporters had gone in and been arrested and stopped over there. Anybody can search these in the stories. So I got into the parking lot. They have these big flat backed open buses, like buses with the tops cut off. They're open air buses. And I thought, I'm just going to get on this bus and drive to the checkpoint. So I drove to the checkpoint. Nobody questioned me because uh, back then, this is 20 something years ago. This is 23 years ago. I was looked like a Calvin Klein model compared to now. I didn't realize it was very homoerotic inside. They thought I was a gay escort. Not later, they were grabbing my ass, pinching my ass. I was like being chased by Pepe Le Pew. You know the you know the cartoon where the skunks chasing the cat. So I I, I hid under a under one of the cabin uh, decks porches as soon as I could because I had men just basically chasing me around. And so so. I get in, I hide out till it gets dark. There's a big pond in the middle of it with this big idol of this big uh, bull god, or they call it an owl, but it's really, it's Moloch. It's a big bull. Other people call it an owl, but it's it's a bull. And they do a mock human sacrifice of a child, uh, all of it. And it was, I was just, it was, it was, it was otherworldly that I'm told this is going to happen. I'm like, sure, right. The, uh, the reporters knew I'd snuck on some military bases and done some undercover reporting, kind of pre Project Veritas. Uh, so they sent me in there, and it was it was pretty interesting. The reason why I'm asking you about that is because there are so many of these groups with these global elites. If you look at the heads of the Bilderberg Group and the heads of Bohemian Grove and the heads of the Trial Commission, and the head of the CFR, and the head of Club of Rome, and the head of the Davos Groups, it's it's less than twenty people. It's basically twenty men chair and head up all the groups. So they use these big parties with prostitutes and drugs and everything to compromise people and to invite in the Hollywood elite, the rest of the elites to control them. Uh, but at the top, they are definitely running Vanguard, running BlackRock, running the big banks. They're not in full control. They're trying to get full control right now. But the different power blocks in the world, this whole corporate intelligence agency, New World Order, British Empire system, really is the dominant force on the planet today. How do we push back? We promote decentralization. We promote nationalism that's, that's based around Republic ideas of the individual rights being protected. And we reject anything the UN or the WEF or Big Pharma are pushing. We become very contrarian of everything they're doing. And, and, and that's starting to happen. And we understand they also use race war and racial division. So instead of apologizing, because I'm not a white supremacist, I love everybody, but as a white person, I can't have a bunch of pl platitudes of, I'm sorry, I'm white. Let me follow the political dictates of the media because according to the corporate-owned media, I'm a bad person if I don't agree to open borders or transgenderism or pedophilia or carbon taxes or banning our cars. And, and so that's not a platitude to black people or anybody else when I agree with the system to go, look, I'm good. I agree with the corporations. I agree. I'm your friend. 
when the corporations are destroying all of our futures uh, collectively. So I would say don't grovel to the mob that the media has organized, but also preemptively before the mob forms, try to educate them about how the globalists are dividing us and conquering us. You know, the British, I go back to the British because it's the British empire mall that runs the world, not the British people themselves are great folks. But India, you know, had 200, 300 million people in it, depending on the time frame, And there was maybe 10,000 British soldiers controlled them. Now, how did 10,000 soldiers control 300 million people? And now it's a billion, 300 million. But, you know, at the time Mahatma Gandhi was taken over, it was like 500 million. Uh, but 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 how did the British with 10,000 soldiers control 300 million people? They did it through anthropology, through sociology, and knowing the different local groups. And they played those groups off against each other with divide and conquer. So that's all this is. The problem is once they start the race war, once they start the class war, your family gets burned up and killed by racist, out-of-control communist blacks, you're then going to start hating all black people, even though that's a manipulation. Or in, 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 in contractors come because your village had some people that burned up another white village, and the contractors come with helicopters and kill the village. Now you're going to hate all white people. No. We have to forgive each other for what we've all done to each other and realize unless somebody themselves did it to you in your face, they didn't do it, and that these corporations are playing us off. They control the black communist leaders. They control the black nationalist leaders. They control the white nationalist leaders. They control the corporations, and they're playing us off against each other in a dialectic, which, again, is like a chemistry set. You take two or three chemicals, and they're doing nothing by themselves. You pour them together, they have a reaction. And so when you pull back and look at what the Club of Rome and the Davos group and others are saying is they're destabilizing civilization. They're making people desperate to cause worldwide breakdown so the system can come in and offer a new world ID, a universal basic income, a system that tracks everything you say, that controls your speech because we can't have another giant race war like we just had. So now we've got to dictate everything you say. We've got to rewrite Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. We've got to control and surveil every speech that's out there because it's too dangerous after we saw civilization almost fall in 2025. But how hopeful are you? I mean, it was just a few days ago where people all around me were wearing masks, three masks, and, and were standing far away from perfectly healthy people. No, I mean, I hear you, but, but, but noticed, as fast as that lie expanded, it died just as quickly or faster. And so they meant to keep the mask going and the force injections going forever. But because of the big awakening, now suddenly it's a joke if you do it. And we've got to look at those that still wear the mask in mind of the fraud. They don't know it's vitamin D you need. It's sunshine you need. It's leafy you know, green vegetables. Let's educate them about what's really going to protect them and not that dirty cloth face diaper that creates uh, bacterial pneumonia. But absolutely. But look, it's never been the mass of people. Whether it's white people or black people or any other group, it's never been the mass of people that change things. It's been a tireless, motivated minority on the side of evil and on the side of good that are going to decide the future. And there are a lot more good people of every race, color, and creed that know what's going on than there are the bad guys, and that's why the bad guys are getting scared. Right now, we are seeing stories about <laughs> balloons and UFOs. <laughs> there are tens of thousands of satellites in orbit, corporate, government, you name it. And that's like your neighbor being a mile away with a telescope looking into your bedroom and, and, and a high-powered telescope can look at ants. I've done it before on somebody's windowsill at a half mile away, two miles away. If the night air is clear, you can sit there with a telescope. And, I, and I'll admit it. I love looking at the stars. Haven't had time being on a telescope in, in over a decade, but I, I've got a big old 12-inch refractor. Now, in a clear night sky, I can look at Jupiter, see its rings, or, or Saturn, see its rings. I can see Jupiter's moons. But I would also wheel it around and aim it at somebody's house down the hill a half mile away. And I, and, and I wasn't watching the people because they're all the same. They're watching TV, big glowing television set. Okay, it's Fox News, it's CNN. But I'd wheel it around to the front door light. And that's where the gecko lizards are eating bugs. And you could dial it in just right and see ants crawling around at a mile away, a half mile away. <laughs> and so satellites are the equivalent of a guy a mile away with a telescope. 
but people don't think of that intruding on them. But a blimp or a balloon is at 60, 80,000 feet. Now it's over my airspace. And what we know now is these things are coming over all the time. We've got them. They've got them. Everybody's got them. Some are university, some are governmental, some are private. This big giant Chinese balloon with three school bus long arrays on it. Now they're finding more Chinese balloons uh, you know, over Hawaii. It's definitely a surveillance package that's going on. But to freak out about it now was just a political distraction from the Nord Stream pipeline news coming out and a lot of other stuff that was going on. And so Trump's like, I never knew that was happening. They said, oh, it happened under Trump. General Milley, the chairman joint chiefs of staff, the head officer here in the U.S., said, I decided not to tell Trump, which is treason. So it doesn't make it okay that it happened before or it happened now. The point is, we're mad about the peeping Tom because the balloon's like a guy at your window looking at you. If you look up at night while you're watching TV and your neighbor's looking through the window, you're going to like, what are you doing? Look at me through the window. You're a peeping Tom. But again, if it's a half mile away with a telescope, you never know what happened. So this is kind of an awakening also to the surveillance that's already there. But does it tie into the, all the UFO stuff that's starting to prop up? Oh, well, there's definitely all these military people on TV saying, I was in the Air Force, we saw UFOs, and they went Mach 50, and that's not us. And there's definitely a hyping of alien invasion. We've had some leaked documents like Project Bluebeam where the Pentagon since the 60s has been working on a staged alien invasion using holograms or other devices. Henry Kissinger and Evian France in 1992 gave a speech. Just type in Henry Kissinger, Bilderberg speech, UN troops. And he said America would never tolerate, LA would never tolerate UN troops occupying it. But if there was an outside threat from beyond like aliens, we would accept it and our new world order, our world government. If we don't realize the power we have collectively, because I'm an individualist, but also I realize the power we have in groups. So if we're aware that the shots aren't helping us and are hurting us, if we're aware of how they try to play us off against each other on race, uh, if we're aware of the larger paradigms, then we have the power. And so we are individuals, but we're also collectivist creatures. We're like a, uh, oh, you know, jellyfish aren't one cell. They're not, they're not one creature. They're a colony creature. And really, humans are colony creatures. We're individuals. We have our own innate intelligence. But we then collectively communicate with each other, not to create a government top-down collectivism, but a collectivism of competition and common sense and what makes sense. And I have trust in the basic common sense at the end of the day of the general public, especially once they see the policies of the New World Order taking everything they've got away from them. A phrase that goes hand in hand with the new world order is the great reset and that's the name of your book it's been out for about seven months for about three months it was off and on number one in the world great reset war for the world it's a very quick read good read uh it's basically their quotes their admissions of their world government and their plan for you and your family but yeah they're stealing elections they're gonna steal titles uh, it's like ford versus ferrari it's a true story and they said look we want you to lose and, but I'm not going to do that. I, I'm not going to pull myself off the field or off the track. But that's what they did with this. New York Times told the publisher, we don't care if it's number one. It's not even going to show up in our list. So why would you even put a list out saying what's number one? Because we trust the knowledge of crowds. We want to hear what the general public wants. Well, it shows you just like they fixed this book, just like they shut down the truth about this book. They're doing it on every subject, and people are getting more and more wise so if you hear the New York Times say Saddam Hussein's got WMDs and atomic bombs, you can bet it's not true. If you're standing on the the battleground of the information war and you look out at the horizon, what is it that you see? We're coming to the end of the Bretton Woods Agreement after World War II that made the dollar the reserve currency of the world. And the central banks of the world that are privately owned from Japan to Europe to the United States, everywhere, are pre-positioning their central bank digital currencies that are programmable, that are controllable, that track where you spend the money, what you do with the money. They can devalue it at any second. They surveil you. It's just, it, it's, it's the mark of the beast. Even if people don't believe in the Bible, well, they used it as a 
blueprint for this. You say, well, God's not real, and John the Revelator at the Isle of Patmos, this is all imaginary. Okay, well, the globalists then, even if you cede that to argument for argument's sake, it's coming true. It's being used as a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so they're coming to the end of the old monetary system. They don't want to go to prison. They don't want to go like FTX or Madoff or them, because this is the Ponzi scheme of Ponzi schemes. This is the mother of Ponzi schemes. And so they need wars and viral outbreaks and borders collapsing and devalued currencies and crises so that you beg when the stock market crashes or there's a cyber attack to get my money. And they go, okay, we lost the digital system. We had a hack attack, but we can take your records and digitize them into a new system on your smartphone. You got to agree to some carbon taxes and some, you know, other things, but you'll get your money back with a bail-in of 10%. And then once we accept that, that's when the real social engineering, the real control uh, begins. So uh, the next shoe to drop is cyber attacks, economic collapses, the rollout of this new world digital currency. It'll still be regional. It'll still say Durban, South Africa. It'll still say, you know, New York City. It'll still say Washington, D.C. It'll, it'll still look like your currency. It'll still say Melbourne, Australia. But it will be centrally controlled that's the official plan, and that's the holy grail of their control. So that's really the next big shooter drop. Why are you the most censored man on the planet? That's a good question. You know, in World War II, they didn't really have radar yet. I mean, they had it, but they were testing it. It, it, it wasn't operational. It was in beta. And when the bombers would fly to North Africa or out of England, they would basically by line of sight fly into an area and then they knew the Germans would have anti-aircraft guns um, at the factories and facilities they wanted to protect firing the flak up into the air these big clouds <coughs> of exploding shrapnel shells that would take out the airplanes and so both my grandfathers of the Army Air Corps they would never even talk about their stories, but I read stories from others who talk about it. You didn't have radar, so you 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 steered into the flak. And so you'd see these big flak clouds and the artillery exploding. Well, you know, okay, that's where the factories are. That's what they're protecting. We've got to go to that, that point. And so I was very blessed to be on air 28 years ago. And going up back about seven years ago, uh, they had the RNC in... Cleveland, Ohio, and about 300,000 people showed up, and about a third of them were wearing InfoWars t-shirts. Some homemade, a lot of them bought from us. We'd sold hundreds of thousands of t-shirts. And when the deep state saw me there with a third of the people wearing InfoWars t-shirts, they, they even came out in Congress. They put the CIA, the FBI on it. They called us Russian agents. They called us disinfo. They came after us. And then they dredged up a few things I'd set out of context, made it huge issues with PR firms that I was currently doing things I'd never done. And they wrote hundreds of thousands of articles, thousands of TV programs, demonizing me to inoculate the public against me. Because in, 19, in 2016, we had routinely 30, 40 million people tuning in a day, way bigger than Joe Rogan, way bigger than Tucker Carlson. I mean, it, it was the big event. I mean, we had... 30, 40 million people every day, and it was gaining steam. It wasn't in the, it, 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 the, the S curve was going straight up. And so they fear populists, they fear the people, they fear rugged individualists. And they said, this guy's an example of what we don't like. If people keep getting behind him and we got Trump elected, then it's game over for us. And so I had the whole deep state come after me. Uh, and, 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 and do all the dirty tricks and everything else, which I expected. I never expected, though, to be like 30 million people a day and like the big top guy. I thought, I'll just do my part and expose this and reach a lot of people, and there'll be leaders that don't want to be under tyranny, and, and, and I'm here to call for the public to be leaders and to see men better than I rise up and, 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 and you know, take action. But And a lot of great folks have risen up, and it's been amazing. And so I'm seeing that a little bit later than I thought it would happen. But back then, I got the main focal point. I got the credit and, and the discredit of getting Trump elected. And so I had the deep state come after me. And so really, it's a badge of honor, a badge of courage. 
uh, I don't want to hang my hat up under all this pressure. I've got more important work to do. But I mean, no, we um, we heard them bad, and so they and they know it, and they know that we irrevocably, not just in America, but all over the world. I can go anywhere. We run into listeners, every race, color, and creed to get what's happening. And so I think it's not me they fear. I think it's the populism. I think it's the authenticity that they don't have. Like they're they're reading off teleprompters. Everything they say is highly scripted. It just scares them uh, to have an Alex Jones out there. Like Trump's not perfect, got major problems, but he isn't writing, uh, you know, tele. he's not getting scripts. He's saying what he thinks off the top of his head. And so that really scares this power structure that wants to control everything. Does Alex Jones still have a lot of fuel left in the tank? I do have a lot of fuel left in the tank. Um, I'm a lot calmer than I used to be because I realized <laughs> I can't fix this. I can't fix this myself. God's going to have to do it. But yeah, I mean, I think our best days are yet to come. Um, I used to enjoy every show. I used to want to get on the air. Now I get in here before the show for a few hours and I'm just like, Can't the public just wake up now and say, no, do, do, do you even need me to tell you that all the books of the great author that wrote Ch Charlie and the Chocolate Factory are being rewritten because they're hate speech or British intelligence just came out last week and said classical literature is bad and William Shakespeare should be banned? I mean, the bad guys want to ban William Shakespeare, folks. You really don't need me to tell you that's bad, okay? Like these are <laughs> bad, bad people. That want, and, and people say, why would they single out William Shakespeare and George Orwell? Because everybody knows that's high English literature. That's as good as it gets. That's like touches your soul. That is empowering. And it's unifying. And so if they can get you to accept, I mean, I've seen U.S. newscasts, German newscasts going, it's no big deal for publishers to rewrite books. Yes, it is. They're plagiarizing the people. They're stealing their identities. They're vandalizing their work. It's worse than burning books to rewrite one and then say it's that author. It's a fraud. And so mm. burning books is bad. Rewriting books after authors are dead is bad, folks. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? I mean, come on, folks. You don't need me to tell you this is wrong. You know in your heart it's dangerous and it's wrong. And giving into it and bowing down and hoping it leaves you alone only makes it worse. It's time to stand up. It's time to say no. It's time to take action. That's why I hope your viewers and listeners will realize the spark can be right here today. Infowars.com. Can't share on most social networks. You can share on your email, your text message, your word of mouth, band.video. We've got the backup site that isn't censored right now that takes you to a video feed, conspiracyfact.info. This show you're watching right now, share the word about it. Truth is contagious. Courage is contagious. It really is up to the proletariat, as George Orwell said. It is up to the people. Alex Jones, thank you for joining me in the trenches. Thank you. I want to get you on my show soon, brother. My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.